You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, a podcast platform for Asians across the diaspora to share their stories about what it means to be an Asian creative in the entertainment industry. Throughout this podcast, you'll hear me and my guests have deep discussions about the industry, the paths they forged, and their unique experiences on and off the film set. Thank you for tuning in. Our mission as Strong Asian Lead is to amplify the creative power of the Asian entertainment diaspora, create space for artists to tell their stories, and provide resources to support emerging artists in their careers. My name is David Masami Moria. I'm an entrepreneur, career coach, screenwriter, and activist. But I'm not going to introduce myself too much, because this podcast isn't about me. It's about you, Asian Hollywood. Today on the Strong Asian Lead podcast is our second part of my conversation with Emmy Leia Kamamoto on microaggressions. Since this is our second episode, I do recommend and encourage you to listen to our first part before you listen to the second part. But with that being said, we're not going to do too much of an intro. We're just going to get right into it. So let's get back into our discussion. I'm talking to more friends and asking them about their experiences, and I'm finding some really troubling experiences. And they'll say, David, I have this great story for you. She called me rice, like rice, buddy. And I was like, what? Someone called someone rice? It just She pointed at him and called him rice, like rice, because he didn't eat cereal. I didn't grow up with cereal. And she's like, rice. I think I could vomit. I almost, I was like, did she pull her eyes back too? I almost got so mad. And no one's going to stick up for him because there's no Asians in there. And he doesn't want to lose his job. He's he's at the bottom of the pole. So what's he supposed to do? It, it's infuriating. And we hope that the beginning of this podcast that walks through some of the thing, the ways that you can interrupt microaggressions is helpful. But each of us have that has that agency to go ahead and look up, like, how do I respond to a microaggression? Each of us is going to have a different plan based on our comfort level, based on the power structures and the space that we're in. Sometimes we will be the director. Sometimes we will be running those meetings and we have all of the power to say, knock it off. That's not cool here. We don't abide by microaggressions. We won't stand for them. But sometimes you're not in that position. I want everybody here to commit, everybody that's listening to this podcast to commit to learning a little bit more about microaggressions, understanding when others have perpetuated them, when you have perpetuated them, and figuring out how you're going to commit to stopping them. Because we're not going to get far in this industry unless we start calling people in and saying, hey, we, we, don't, we won't stand for this. You can't do this. We need to stand up for ourselves and for the people around us. Mm-hmm. And then the other people need to do the learning. And yeah, we need to get with a fucking program. Get with the, pro- <laughs> get with the fucking program. And do the work. Don't just ask your friends to help you do it. Like, yes, you can ask them, but do more work outside. Take one hour of your out of your TV schedule to watching whatever you're re-watching and <laughs> pick up a book, re- look up an article, go to bed reading something that's within the active in the space, the diversity, just written by somebody who is a person of color. They're going to yep. talk about these things and that's what needs to happen. It's not the education part that you do one-on-one because then you can go home and not think about it. Do it on your own time. And that's what helps Mm -hmm. move things forward because then we know you're doing the work. Commit to the messy process of trying to interrupt bias. It's not going to be perfect. You might get some egg on your face, but it's worth it to make this world better to try and advocate for, you know, ourselves or for others. 
nobody is going to get better at it unless we actually try. And, and trying in the moment, doing in the moment, look at what you're saying and then reflect on what you're saying because sometimes you're saying something and you don't know where that phrase came from. It, it's hurtful to some people. I was actually on this, yeah. I was actually on this call, this group meeting and a white woman came on and, and she's there and she's super nice and super great. We've been talking about politics and in the entertainment space and she caught herself because she said something, whatever the phrase, whatever she was saying, she said off the reservation and she caught herself in that moment. And she said, Ooh, I don't use that phrase often. And I don't know if that's a good phrase to use. That sounds like it should be wrong. There's something that probably came from somewhere. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to stop using that. And she was like super sorry. I don't know if that offended anybody. I'm like, you're good. Because one, you recognize that in the moment and you are dedicated to change that and learn where that came from and then change it. And you told us, you didn't like say it and then feel bad. You didn't want to say anything and then maybe go change it later or forget or whatever. You told us that you felt bad and you, and you, she immediately changed that. And yeah. that's what I like seeing in people. Like you hear it, you say it, and you, you change it. And there's humility in that. Oh, humility is huge. People are afraid to have humility and yeah. because they're afraid of looking dumb, wrong, or whatever, embarrassed. Instead, they often just go and say, they brush it off. They try to give themselves the power and then and, and neglect that they probably hurt somebody. Yeah. I love that example. And because I think every person can benefit from calling themselves in. Like, why don't we do the work where we call ourselves in so that other people don't have to do that work for us? Yes. And that's for people of color. That's for white folks out there. Our audience, y'all listening to us, you guys are going to have different opinions and experiences than David and I have. I speak from my identity as somebody who's worked in corporate entertainment spaces as a mixed race, Japanese, and white woman. So those identity factors, my age, my lived experiences, all color my belief and view on microaggressions, inclusion, diversity, equity. And I really hope that you will come and have a conversation with us, whether it's a comment on the, the YouTube or calling into us and emailing us and saying, I don't agree with what you said. Like we need to be having these conversations so that we can understand one another, all of our experiences. Yeah. And stick up for one another. Oh like, yeah. All the time. And I want, and we talked about this very briefly, and I want to get, make this the last point that we have is bystander intervention. There's so many different ways that bystander intervention can happen. And it could be up to the extreme of somebody really standing up and verbally or, or physically attacking people on a public thing. But in the workplace, it's usually just comments. So it's comments or getting cut off, all the stuff that we've said before. So, Emmy, how do people stick up for somebody who has ha had an interaction, whether it's being interrupted or getting talked over doesn't have anything. Yeah. Even if there, even there's nothing happening that somebody hasn't said something and you want to include them. And this could be, and as the bystander, you can be a, another person of color. Anybody can do this. Anybody should do this. If they're seeing something that's happening, what can you do? One really important thing to recognize is that if you are a bystander, if you fail to say something or do something, you are being complicit. You are saying that this behavior doesn't impact you or the lives of other people enough for you to do something. So I just want people to sit with that. There is responsibility in witnessing racism, bias, microaggressions in the workplace. Now that you know that you have a responsibility, 
how do you navigate this safely? Because you may also be a person of color. You may not have a lot of power or privilege in those rooms, in those spaces. So that's where you identify, okay, who was the person that was microaggressed? What is their position, their level of like security in terms of like job, et cetera? Maybe talk with them. One of the best things you can do as a bystander is if you don't have the power or the right words in that moment to call someone in or call someone out and say, hey, I don't agree with what you just said or how you phrased that, you are perpetuating a microaggression. If you don't have the ability to say that, no judgment on you, but stop after the session or after that experience, talk to the person who experienced that and say, hey, I noticed that you were microaggressed during that meeting. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? They have the opportunity to say yes or no. They might need someone to process through it with them. So being there for that person who has been microaggressed is of utmost importance. If you do want to escalate this microaggression and let somebody know that this wasn't okay, you actually do need permission from the person who has been microaggressed because your action could potentially put them into danger. We all probably have that savior complex where we want to help somebody, but you can't help somebody unless they want to be helped. It's just not fair. You could put them at risk. So talk with them. Maybe you can encourage them and and help them understand why it's important to say something. But then after that incident, go to the person who was the microaggressor in, in that example, and you can call them in and say, hey, in that last meeting, I was not very comfortable with something that you said. Can I have a moment to talk with you about it? And hopefully they're a decent human being and they say yes. And then you can share what that example was and you can share with them, this is the impact that those words have on me as a bystander to that incident. And then I'm speaking on behalf of this person because I've talked to them about it. And this is how they are feeling. And if they go, why didn't they say it themselves? Then you can bring in, let's think about the power dynamics here. Let's think about positionality. Let's think about the the stressful experience that this caused and help them build their empathy and understanding around how that situation impacted somebody's emotions, identity, et cetera. It takes a lot of work. Bystander work is not easy. But what other choice do we have? If nobody's standing up for one another, our society just dissolves and devolves into nobody looking after one another at all, us all just looking out for our singular interests. I don't want to be a part of a world like that. So that's why I choose to intervene when I am a bystander in a situation. Those are great points. Sometimes you know, I've heard some of these and I and I, sometimes I forget, especially things like asking the permission to help. If I had something happen to me and someone tried to save me, I could still lose my job if I didn't mm-hmm. want it to escalate. And if it was, if I didn't want to get anybody involved, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever. As much as that sucks, on my part, maybe I didn't want that to happen. Maybe they don't want that to happen. They don't want to get, they don't want the attention to go into them. Um, yeah, they may have more at risk. Yeah, it's it can be it's a difficult situation. Everybody's been a bystander at some point and done nothing. Yeah. What are the yeah. reasons why you don't do it? This is really key and and something like we have to reflect on individually. One of the most common reasons is people think, oh, it's not my problem. It didn't happen directly to me. Or making the assumption that somebody else is going to say something. That's problematic if we think about crime, because one of the most common examples that are listed in bystander trainings is there's somebody being attacked in the courtyard of an apartment building in New York City, but everybody's hearing her screams. Everybody knows something's going on, but nobody calls the police because they've all made the assumption that somebody else is going to call the police. 
And they're like, oh, I don't want to overburden the police lines or whatnot. But because nobody called, because everybody made that assumption, nobody called and this person ended up being assaulted. It's literally called a bystander effect. The psychological effect that if other people are around, somebody else is going to do it. But it's not necessarily the truest thing in the world to go by. No. Because everybody feels that way. Everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it. So do it yourself. Do it yourself. You take responsibility, right? You don't know what other people are doing. So just take responsibility for what you can do. It's better to have two people do it than to have Uh nobody do it. And that's a really key point too. So another thing that people worry about when they're going to be a bystander and stand up for somebody is that they fear retaliation against them. Oh, but if I say something, then something's going to happen to me too. Yes, that is a risk. One of the really cool ways to mitigate that risk is to get a group of people to say something. There is power in numbers. This is why we want to teach organizing to every single person who will listen to us because if you go up to the group after that event or situation happened and say, hey, did you all see that? Like, how do you feel about that? Was that cool? Do we agree with what just happened? You can create a coalition or a group of people that can then bring up this issue and say, it wasn't just one person who thought this was bad. There's a number of us who don't think that this is okay. Power in numbers. And at the same time, that's when you have a group of people around you and are friends and you can, that you can talk to and that you're going to see again. But when you're also in a place that's just strangers, if you're on a public transportation and something mm-hmm. happens, everybody has that same effect. It's the same style of yeah. things. But the moment one person stands up, another person's going to stand up. One, you stood up first, so the risk is a lot lower. Now you have two people. You have one person already there. If you stand up, you're two. So now you're in better numbers. And if a second person does, some likely somebody else is going to join you as well. And they have the five Ds that people I can always we can we should put in the show notes of a bystander intervention, but be there. It's Mm -hmm. about taking action. There's so many different ways you can help in that situation that doesn't involve you being as close as possible, but not doing nothing. Yeah. That's where representation matters again. That theme keeps coming back. But if you are representing your values and you stand up and say something, you encourage other people to see themselves doing the same thing and doing what's right. In the last situation that occurs that deters people from standing up as a bystander is that they're uncertain about what happened. They're uncertain about what the person who has been microaggressed is feeling. They're uncertain about the details. They're not, they don't want to assume anything. The great thing that you can do with uncertainty is ask questions. You can talk to the person who experienced the microaggression and say, were you cool with that? How are you feeling? You can get information. You can talk to other people and say, I just want to be clear. I just want to understand for myself, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. Did you also experience that? Get the information. There's no harm in asking the questions. And so that one you can just mitigate right there. Be genuinely curious. Take the time to ask questions so that you don't have to be uncertain of what happened. You don't have to go forward to report this issue without real information, without people backing you up, and with, importantly, without the permission of the person who was experiencing the bias, harassment, or microaggression. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our Well, not sponsors, but we just want to uplift some great people who are doing amazing work. 
East-West Players. Founded in 1965, East-West Players is committed to raising the visibility of the Asian American experience by presenting inventive world-class theater productions, developing artists of color, and providing impactful youth education programs. Their vision is to inspire and advocate for a world free of racism and discrimination through transformative artistic works. East-West Players has since premiered more than 228 plays and musicals, along with over 1,000 diverse readings and workshops for actors, writers, and directors. By building bridges between East and West, they have cultivated a loyal audience of over 70% people of color. Their company continues to build platforms for artists of color while advocating for multifaceted representations of the Asian Pacific American experience in the performing arts. East-West Players' main stage is the David Henry Huang Theater, housed within the Union Center for the Arts in downtown Los Angeles' Little Tokyo District. The theater serves more than 25,000 people each year and has become a creative center in this historically significant setting. East-West Players has committed to steering an intersectional focus that further unveils the diversity of Asian Pacific identities as portrayed on stage. Again, East-West Players is currently not a sponsor. We just think that they are doing amazing work and we want to uplift them. So please take the time to look at their website, buy a ticket, and donate to their good cause. Now, back to my interview with Emmy Leia Kamamoto. We did. And it, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to speak about this because it's something that affects every single person in this entertainment industry. There's no way you're going to enter this industry without being microaggressed or treated unfairly. It's quote unquote a part of the culture, but that doesn't mean that you have to stand for it. And it doesn't mean that you can't be a part of changing it. And we want to give those tools to everybody that we get to interact with. Doesn't mean that culture can't change. Exactly. Culture changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Cities change all the time. People change all the time. Demographics change all the time. We're in a time of change. Hollywood is changing in itself and we are going to take advantage of that. Because yeah. we are going to be the change. Exactly. All of us. Everybody. And we won't do it alone. No. So as we close out, we want to play a new game called the call out close out. Like, it's like call-ins, call-outs, and cancel culture. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we could call it. Yeah. Well, because as much as call-ins are great, sometimes you just got to call people out for it. You don't have to cancel them for it. I think there's yeah. that difference between canceling and calling out. I mean, what do you want to call out in the industry this week? This one's just been on my mind since you shared the article with me, but Ron Howard being slated to direct this incredible movie about an amazing Chinese pianist instead of an Asian or Asian American director. I think it's one of those opportunities where we're not thinking strategically about the best storytellers about an identity is people who have experienced and lived those identities. and. It seems to me like another example of let's go ahead, rinse and reuse and repeat the people who have been known to be successful instead of thinking about how this yet again communicates to Asian American directors everywhere that they are not good enough to direct their own stories. You've told me before, but I'd like to hear it again, is why should white people be able to play and direct and tell stories of other people? Is, Is that okay? Why do white men white directors get to tell these stories? Why do they think this way? Do they think they're better? I honestly sometimes really wish I could put on the psyche of a white man to understand where in their line of thought they think that's okay, that they can represent a story and identity that they have never held better than other people who have held that identity. I truly don't understand it, 
But I think that the solution is us starting to question it, is more people in these decision-making rooms saying, all right, is this person the best equipped to tell this story? Do they have in their lived experiences the best working knowledge? Or is there going to be a huge gap that they have to master? Like, why not have a director and then Ron Howard advises the project or co-directs or do something creative like that? Mm -hmm. That's a solution that wouldn't offend people as much as just blatantly allowing someone else that isn't of that identity. No. And the same with the writers. Like Adele Lim, she called him out on that. But she was also, she was the co-writer of Crazy Rich Asians with another white man. And then when they did Crazy Rich Asians 2, they were both given a new deal. She got paid less. Yep. They were going to pay her less because she's a newer writer. But- She's the one who's bringing the culture in. That's a value. The expert. Yeah. Even with her co-writer offering to give her some of his salary, I really admire what she did and said, no, the industry needs to change. It needs to acknowledge that my value to this project is equal and equitable to the value you bring to the project. It shouldn't be just you acknowledging that. The whole industry needs to acknowledge it. Yes, they That's do. My Colin. What's your call out? My call out for the week is NBC. Ooh. They recently acquired rights to the new TV series Nurses. And oh. there is not one Filipino on this photo. Oh my God. Filipinos are 4% of the nation's nurses' population. And they're huge in this culture. My cousin is a Filipino nurse. Like, it's a norm. That is a huge percentage for a demographic like that. And they have three white people, someone black and maybe a South Asian person, but no Filipino. Like that, the United States brings over Filipino for their nursings. We have a favorable visa treaty with the Philippines that allows nursing students and nurses to come from the Philippines to the US. In fact, the Philippines has these sorts of treaties and visas with tons of com- countries. I put them in a new show about nurses. That's a problem. That's not cool. We we need representation. That's such a slap in the face to all of our Pinoy and Pinay nurses who have given so much this year in particular. Honestly, the people, NBC should really think about this show very carefully. If they're doing this show to humanize nurses so that people have like more empathy for healthcare workers... That's great, but then it should be representative of what healthcare actually looks like. It's appalling. The work that you're doing right now, like that's the level of call-in that we want all of us to challenge ourselves to do. Let's look at who's writing and directing, making decisions for these productions, because that gives us an idea of who we're working with in this industry, who's making the decisions, who we have to influence. Yeah. And who we get to call in. Who's telling the stories. Who's really telling the stories and who's paying the money into it. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Strong Asian Lead Podcast. Uh, We look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks so much. Every week is just a pleasure to work with you and to talk with you about these things because we could do this for hours and we're going over again. So it's just just a wonderful time to talk with you every week. We're learning from each other and I can't wait till we keep learning from our guests that will be on our podcasts and we're figuring this out all together, y'all. It's not a perfect process. It's messy. We're going to trip over our words. We are becoming aware of our own biases throughout this process too. 
and it's so worth it. It's so cool. So thank you for making this happen, David. And this is the Strong Asian Lead Podcast. See you on the next episode. Thanks again to Emmy for this deep dive discussion. We just want to help the industry. We want to help the emerging creatives. As much as the amazing Asian Americans who are out in the entertainment industry who's already doing amazing things, let's just say like this top A100 list, they're already doing amazing things and God bless them. But you know what? It's the emerging artists like yourselves who are listening to this podcast who don't really get that same recognition. And we want to help you get there. We want to help you get to that A100 list. Like I'm a creator. I'm a TV writer. I've written five scripts and I have more scripts in my head that I want to put on the page. But you know what? I haven't sold anything. I haven't done anything with it. I I keep writing. I keep doing. I keep working. And I just want someone to believe in what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm going to be fucking blunt right here. Give me a fucking chance. I know you out there as Asian Americans and Asian creatives and Asians just working towards that next dream goal. They are working towards it so hard. And it's such a struggle. And we at Strong Asian Lead know that. And we want to help you get there. And whether it be a a part of our screenwriting services or just some of this podcast that you're listening that gives you hope, that gives you an insight to the industry, we as creatives, as this emerging artist, we are still very much in the deep trenches that we're still trying to climb out through. And it feels like you can't help somebody else get there. But honestly, if we step down and help that person step up, we want to be the first stepping stone that you're able to find some resources, come to our clubhouse, ask questions, just talk about the industry because I'm sometimes just talking about it and knowing that you're not the crazy one here and that other people believe in you too and they see different things and that we talk about what it means to be Asian American, mixed race, third culture kids. There's so many conversations that we need to still have that we want to bring that to you. And I do this as a labor of love. A lot of my team does this as a labor of love, but we still need your help. If you could help us with our crowdfunding, I would really appreciate that. Our team would greatly appreciate that. We have to work as a team and creative as a community to make this happen. We can't do it alone. And I want to work with other nonprofits and other partners. And I want to work with other people. We have new sponsorships. We have, we're working with Mixed Asian Media, the Inclusive Screenwriter, and Muslim American Casting. These are also other nonprofits who are struggling in their own selves. But you know what? We're going to sponsor each other and help each other out because that's what a community does. If you can please support our crowdfunding at strongasianlead.com slash crowdfunding. Don't give us a dollar. Give us $2. $2.25 and some weird number. I don't care how much you, you support. Even if it is just a share, share it and tag us. Share it and don't tag us. That helps too. You know, we just want that help. And if we can su- help support the community and work together, and if you can help support us while we help support you, like it all just works in a circle. And I think that's the important thing. So please help us out. I'm going to keep doing this either way, whether you do it or not, but really helpful. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. I'm your host, David Masamuaria. Stay safe, stay clean. We're almost out of this pandemic. That's it for our episode today. We'll see you next week. This has been Strong Asian Lead, and I'm your host, David Masamuaria.